Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job, and they can do a great job for you. Just visit johnsonsairconditioning.com and give them a call. Also, buy Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman. He's a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll also be joined by Michael Cannon, uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Jack Wirt is the Executive Director of the Naples Marco Island Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. He'll be joining us, as well as Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It is April the 16th, and on this day in 2007, sadly, 32 people died after being gunned down by, on campus at Virginia Tech by Sung Hui Cho, a student at the college who later died by suicide. Virginia Tech shooting began around 7.15 a.m., while Cho, a 23-year-old senior and English major at Blacksburg-based Virginia Polytechnic Institute, VPI, grade school, shot a female uh, freshman and a male resident assistant in a campus dormitory before fleeing the building. Police soon were on the scene, unaware of the gunman's identity. They initially pursued the female victim's boyfriend as a suspect in what they believed to be an isolated domestic violence incident. However, around 9.40 a.m., Cho, armed with a 9mm handgun, a 22 caliber handgun, and hundreds of rounds of ammunition, entered a classroom building, chained and blocked several main doors, and went from room to room shooting people. Approximately 10 minutes after the rampage began, he died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Uh, the attack left 32 people dead and more than a dozen wounded. In all, 27 students and 5 faculty members died. In the massacre. Two days later, on April the 18th, NBC News received a package of materials from Cho with a timestamp indicating he mailed it from Virginia Post Office between the first and second shooting attacks. Contained in the package were photos of a gun wielding Cho, along with a rambling video diatribe in which he ranted about wealthy brats, among his other topics. In the aftermath of the Virginia Tech shooting, authorities found no evidence that Cho, who was born in South Korea and moved to America with his family in 1992, had specifically targeted any of his victims. The public soon learned that Cho, described by students as a loner who rarely spoke to anyone, had a history of mental health problems. It was also revealed that the angry, violent Cho uh, writings, his writings made for certain class assignments, had raised concerns among some of his professors and fellow students as well before the events of April the 16th. In 2011, Virginia Tech was fined by the U.S. Department of Education for failing to issue a prompt campus-wide warning after Cho shot the first two victims. By the way, he used a handgun, not an automatic weapon, and Virginia Tech is a gun-free zone. Sadly, if one of those professors had been armed, perhaps he would have done less harm. Sad indeed. By the way, last night, eight people were shot and killed at the FedEx facility in the Indianapolis near the airport. And the shooter killed himself, police said. Very sad. A lot of this is going to be based on gun control. However, it has a lot more to do with the estrangement that we have of individuals in our society and, uh, you know, how we're living. We just, uh, we've got to address some of the issues that we have culturally. U.S. stocks climbed to record levels on Thursday after key companies reported strong earnings Fresh economic data pointed to a rebound in consumer spending and jobs market. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 300 points, an all-time high, over 34,000 for the first time ever. Uh, the Nasdaq Composite advanced 1.3%. Spending and hiring saw big gains. Total retail and food service sales rocketed skyward. Jobless claims are now at a pandemic-era low, and even New York is seeing a jobs creep back. Retail sales surged 9.8% in March against 6.1% expected, no doubt due to uh, the stimulus checks and, and all the money that's been sent out by the government, and probably the, the vaccines too. More about that later. Relaxation of restrictions sent at bar and restaurant industries to uh, double-digit gains. 
Weekly, weekly jobless claims were uh, at 576,000, by far the lowest since the pandemic and far lower than estimates. So good news on the economic front, but can we sustain it? I don't think so with some of the policies that are being proposed. New York Times has just confirmed what many of us already figured out. In the report, New York Times stated that Capitol Police were told to stand down during the January 6th riot at the Capitol. According to a 104-page document obtained by investigators, leaders were warned of the pre-planned violence, but instead of being proactive, officers were just told to stand down and allow the riot to happen. Now, who gave that admonition? Who gave that order? That's, that's what I'd like to know. Congress was still, well, he was even warned about the pre-planned attack, according to a now-resigned Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund. A new report by the Capitol Police's internal watchdog found that department leaders overlooked key intelligence in the run-up to the uh, uh, January 6th, including warning that Congress itself was a target. A couple of months ago, the mainstream media thought that the idea of Capitol Police letting protesters into the Capitol building, which, by the way, we saw on videotape, was a conspiracy theory, but now we're reporting it as true three months later, three months too late. Who told the Capitol Police to stand down? That's a question I have. Did it come from Congress? Perhaps Nancy Pelosi? I'd like to know. Well, Democrats are proposed with President Joe Biden's first 100 days. Radical initiatives, contrary to Biden's back-to-normalcy campaign sold to the American people. Accordingly, the Democrats have introduced the following radical initiatives. Packing the courts, amnesty, reparations, federalized elections, D.C. statehood, and banning the Electoral College. These radical ideas and proposals run counter to what Biden said during his announcement speech for president. He said, the American people want their government to work, and I don't think that's too much to ask. I know some people in D.C. say it can't be done, but let me tell you something and make sure that they understand this. The country is sick of division. They're sick of the fighting. They're sick of the childish behavior. Really, Joe? Biden is living out his childish behavior. He's admonished. He's celebrating and leveraging the division his politics is creating. Well, on Wednesday, Kamala Harris announced uh, she was planning a trip to Mexico and Central America to discuss the ongoing migrant crisis created by Joe Biden's open border policies. During her announcement, Harris blamed climate change for the surge in migrants to the U.S. border. Really? Of course, this was her latest ridiculous and purposefully misleading statement. No wonder she chuckled to herself and she announced her plans. Everyone knows the U.S. border is now wide open after Joe Biden ended all of President Trump's border control policies on the same day he was inaugurated. I truly find Kamala uh, nauseating and repulsive. Just, uh, I can't, can't believe she's that close becoming president of the United States. Just my opinion. Major League Baseball's favorability rating among Republicans has collapsed 35%, down from 47% to 12% in only a month. Now, why do you think that is? Has anything to do with election reform? In the wake of MLB's decision to remove its all-star game from Atlanta to Georgia's new election integrity law and its increasing number of woke proclamations, Republican support for pro-baseball has cratered that, according to Morning Consult, up to 2019, baseball had resisted woke politics and its ratings were strong as NFL and NBA's ratings collapsed. Baseball has only one player take a knee during the national anthem until last year. In 2020, the league joined the rest of the pro sports in approving protests against the country during the anthem. Now, with woke baseball uh, warning, they uh, plan to start punishing red states for daring to pass laws that oppose left-wing agendas. Baseball's once robust support had evaporated. MLB has the highest net favorability rating among the Republicans of the four major sport uh, leagues before the All-Star Game decision, but last week dropped below that of even the NHL and the NFL, that according to Morning Consult. Of course, baseball is for, far from the only pro sport with collapsing Support uh, among uh, conservatives and Republicans, as each sport bows uh, further in supplication to wokeism, the number has fallen. According to Axios, only 26% of Republicans support NHL, while a smaller 16% favor the NFL. But the worst level of support figure for, is for the NBA has a negative 5% support among the right. 
For you woke corporations, I hope you're paying attention to this. This could be the canary in the coal mine. Don't take our business for granted. You know what? We can send those American Express cards back. We cannot do business with your company. And uh, there's going to be some repercussions from taking the stand against election reform. Well, the House passed a bill Wednesday that would prohibit school athletic teams and sports designated for girls and women from admitting males. Now, this is in Florida, though. The, the bill has passed uh, the House, a 77-40 almost along party lines. The bill would require admission to public school and college sport teams to be based on male-female sex, not gender identity. Of course, this legislation has to get through the Senate as well as being signed by the governor. I'm sure he will sign it. But uh, in my opinion, get uh, out of the NCAA, get out of the uh, National Collegiate Association. Uh, they've gone woke as well. We should have uh, males competing with males and females competing with females here in Florida. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit it with uh, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Michael Cannon. He is a research fellow, or I should say, uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. It's always a pleasure. Uh, could you tell our listeners about uh, the Cato Institute? You bet. Uh, we're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O uh, dot org. 
So, uh, William, the Biden has now proposed a new budget is $1.7 trillion. I'm, it makes me wonder, perhaps, the trillion is a new billion. <laughs> the, uh, well, allow me to provide a little context on this budget. Um, if your listeners will recall, in 2000, or 2011, there was a big budget battle in Congress. Um, and the result of that was that lawmakers agreed to cap discretionary domestic spending over the next decade. Uh, the upshot is that the decade is about to run out, and the budget that Biden, the Biden administration uh, proposed this week reflects that. It's the first one that is unencumbered by these limits that were put in place in 2011. Hmm. And it certainly reflects that, because it's uh, a, you know just a, a pretty significant boost in spending um, across the board. Um, I will note this, it's focuses, or foci, I guess, or foci, um, uh, you know, its priorities uh, are climate, health care, and education, and it, it spends billions accordingly. Um, but those are the same priorities that were in the $2 trillion uh, supposedly COVID stimulus mm -hmm. that Congress recently passed, um, and, and also in the $2 trillion infrastructure bill, which they're now considering and was proposed by the Biden administration. So it's one wonders um, how many times these items can be uh, priorities. And I guess it makes more sense in a budget bill than a COVID bill and an infrastructure bill. Um, but, you know, again, it, it, it just, this administration seems intent on showering um, these sectors with, with public monies. So remind us what happens from here. In other words, uh, he's proposed the budget. As I recall from Obama, he'd always throw up a budget, which is just total nonsense. It wasn't even considered. Uh, so what goes from what happens from here? Well, your question hits the nail on the head. These budgets, you know, ultimately Congress has the power of the purse. Mm -hmm. That's its exclusive and plenary prerogative pursuant to the Constitution. Um, so these presidential budgets are largely aspirational, and they're meant to, to, to demonstrate to the public where the administration's priorities lie. Um, so there's actually an entire process by which the Congress is supposed to undergo to formulate its own budget in response to the president's proposal, and, and that process was actually established in 1974. Um, however, uh, the sad fact of the matter is that Congress rarely undertakes that process uh, in modern times mm -hmm. um, and largely passes uh, uh, these budgets through a very rushed or appropriations bills um, uh, through a rushed process, uh, uh, these omnibus bills, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, so that's just inside the beltway talk for uh, appropriations measures that don't go through the carefully calibrated process of del deliberation that Congress established for itself. So uh, the, the, the long story short, um, Biden's budget is aspirational. It now gets kicked to Congress, which will undergo its, uh, what in all likely will be, if recent history is any indication, its own dysfunctional process. To, um, in essence, uh, I believe it'll be in the fall when these matters would come to a head, and there will probably be some sort of brinksmanship between the two parties. Um, and ultimately it will lead to, uh, if history can is any indication, this rushed um, budgeting process that Congress, that is the new normal in Congress. Yeah. <laughs> Probably come out with a bloated $2.3 trillion budget. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, what's the latest on the infrastructure bill? Well, let's see. Uh, the, 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 I guess at the beginning of the week, there was a fascinating attempt by the Biden administration um, so, so we know they've already they're trying to redefine infrastructure away from roads and bridges, as everyone commonly understands the term, to pretty much everything under the sun. Um, at the beginning of the week, there was an also a, an attempt to redefine bipartisanship mm -hmm. um, in the context of this infrastructure bill. And, and by that, I mean that um, the, the Biden administration was pushing to the media the line that even if it gets zero GOP votes in Congress, it is nonetheless bipartisan because it appeals, or because they claim it appeals to Republican voters. So I thought that was interesting. I mean, just how many different terms that we're redefining in the process of pitching this infrastructure package. Yeah, just so, um, well, you just, it just occurred to me, are they sure they actually have uh, uh, Democrat voters on board? I'm not sure they do. <laughs> 
You're exactly right. Well, we've spoken about that on prior Fridays, that, that um, there were many, uh, from progressives uh, to moderate uh, uh, lawmakers concerned about uh, getting their way on the state and local tax deduction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, yes, no, that, that it, it's an open question as to whether or not they can navigate their own tenuous majorities in Congress. Um, but, yeah, no, it's a... Uh, um, uh, I'll say this regarding, I guess, the, the politics of the matter. Um, the GOP this week announced that they are in the, uh, about to uh, issue a counterproposal hmm. um, of uh, 700-odd billion, I believe, is, is going to be the, the sums they're, they're talking about. Um, again, focused on actual roads, bridges, and infrastructure, as the term is commonly understood. Um, I'll note this, and I think you've mentioned this on a prior Friday, I wonder, I kind of wish that the floor had been zero. I mean, it seems as though there's sort of so much money in the system in the wake of those COVID bills, especially, yeah. um, you know, that pot of discretionary funding for states, that $350 billion. I wouldn't mind seeing whether or not perhaps some of that can uh, free up monies at the local level for infrastructure before we necessarily spend another trillion. But, um the last, those are the politics of the matter. Those, indeed. In fact, a lot of this infrastructure should be handled by municipalities, states, and uh, in other words, uh, there could be some federal uh, stimulus, but there's no need for to throw billions of dollars at the issue that should be handled by, uh, by states, in my opinion. Uh, here, here. So, uh, uh, final question before I let you go. Uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi said she's not going to bring uh, what's-his-name's bill to the floor. Now, nah, for God, doesn't it, Joe? Uh, well, anyhow, doesn't matter. Anyhow, but uh, so what about Biden's uh, uh, Supreme Court commission that uh, he's uh, gathered in order to make comments about how the Supreme Court is working? Well, your, your question nailed it. I mean, uh, uh, Speaker Pelosi effectively pulled the rug out from under this commission. So, uh, you know, it was as widely reported um, at the commission that's going to look into expanding the court. Um, uh, but I, I do believe that any... Um, it's tough to take it seriously, and given that Nancy Pelosi contemporaneously said that the House um, of all institutions wouldn't consider such a bill. Um, And I think that really gets to what political poison the idea of of court packing is now and indeed always has been in this Mm -hmm. country. Um, But quickly, just regarding the commission itself, uh, my boss, Ilya Shapiro, uh, hit the nail on the head when he said um, the commission is large, progressive, and largely pointless. Uh, pointless. Yeah. Um, so, so I thought that was an apt description. <laughs> That's a good summary. William Yeatman, again, research fellow at the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. He's also from the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round, Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshire Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. 
with dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. This is probably Michael Cannon. Let me see if it is. Uh, show is brought to you by Choice Social, a social networking platform. I hope you'll check out choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Jack Wirt. Right now, we have with us Michael Cannon, I hope. <laughs> Michael is the uh, 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 Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, is that you? You're coming through loud and clear, Bob. All right, Michael. So glad to have you on the show. We had a little uh, problem with our communication devices here, but uh, glad to have you on the show, Michael. Tell us about, well, Cato Cato Institute kind of aligns with what uh, we're trying to accomplish here on the show. It's uh, limited government and the rule of law, personal responsibility, individual liberty. That kind of gets to the heart of it, doesn't it? It does. You know, if you take the principle of, equality seriously, the idea that we all have equal rights and equal dignity, that necessarily leads to the conclusion that the government's got to leave us to make our own decisions rather than have one group of people impose their will on another group of people. And that's what we at the Cato Institute are trying to ensure, that you have the the right and the freedom to live your life as you choose so long as you respect the equal rights of others. Thank you, Michael. And you know what? Uh, we're just glad to have you on the show because there's so much going on that's confusing. We find out now that at least 5,800 uh, fully vaccinated Americans have contracted the COVID-19 virus this year. 74 of them have died. Now we're getting news from uh, Pfizer that they're saying, well, you know, not only do you need the two shots, but you're going to need another shot in six months and probably a shot every year. What is going on? Well, when you've got a virus that is infecting millions of Americans, killing more than half a million Americans, uh, even when you have a vaccine that's 95% effective, it's still going to leave a lot of infections out there. Yeah. But it's dramatically fewer than we would have if we did not have the vaccine. So there will be people who... Uh, contract COVID-19, even though they've been vaccinated. There will even be some vaccinated people who will die. Yeah. So, I mean, but that number is good. But the, the vaccine is saving uh, thousands and perhaps eventually hundreds of thousands of lives uh, because it is reducing the severity of this illness. And, so, uh, and, and so the, and as for get, having to get a booster, uh, that may be the case. You know, we've heard that from the CEO of Pfizer. I'm always skeptical whenever I hear anything from a, a, a pharmaceutical executive about how we're going to need to purchase more of their products. Right. But, <laughs> but uh, so I'm going to, you know, wait and look for the data and, and see what that has to say. But it's certainly possible that in order to keep up with the variants, uh, we're going to have to, uh, people would have to get additional boosters. And whether they do, it's going to be something we're going to have to subject to the same sort of cost-benefit analysis as we do an annual flu shot. See, so this is, this, this is why you be, I become so skeptical of what, what's coming out on this stuff. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Dr. Richard Fleming, quite an impressive guy. He's basically showed a slide at a presentation that said, you know, the, the uh, vi- vaccines make absolutely no difference with regard to the number of cases that, are, that come out. So um, I, I mean, he seems so credible to me. I don't, his uh, website is uh, FlemingMethod.com if you want to check it out. But have you heard of the guy? I have not. Okay, well, so, uh, but, uh, you know, the, what he says is according to the, the, the uh, information that these companies are providing, Pfizer and others, Moderna, and he's saying that basically the, the research 
going into uh, the uh, issuing these vaccines shows that they they are not uh, <laughs> they don't make a difference. Uh, I'm, uh, as I said, I'm not familiar with Dr. Fleming and his analysis of the data. Yeah, I think that that would be a really tough hill to climb, uh-huh. given that there have been multiple studies of uh, multiple vaccines showing that they have efficacy of uh, seventy. Uh, to 90 percent and uh that in places where we have seen vaccinations successful vaccination campaigns uh large vaccination campaigns they have been successful in bringing down the number of transmissions among the targeted groups yeah uh, so primarily dr uh, Rand paul for example said you know there has to be some disparity here when you're saying that a, a 15-year-old or 16-year-old uh, should get the same vaccination as a uh, 85-year-old. So uh, Dr. Rand Paul, he's a medical doctor himself. He's questioning uh, this. And then yesterday, I don't know if you saw Jim Jordan and Dr. Fauci. Did you see that? <laughs> <laughs> that exchange, but basically, I did not see that exchange. Yeah, so Jim Jordan is basically saying, "Now, uh, how long are we going to have to wear these masks?" And Doctor Fauci said, "Well, because the numbers are too high." He said, "Well, what do the numbers have to be?" Doctor Fauci danced and danced, but didn't give a number. In other words, uh, Jim Jordan is saying, "When give us a give us a benchmark? Tell us when tell us when we can st- stop masking up and start uh, socializing and getting back to work." Doctor Fauci didn't have a number. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's because that question, uh, first of all, involves a lot of unknowns yeah. about the efficacy of masks and uh, the, the spread of the virus, but it is also a value judgment. Mm-hmm. It depends on each individual's uh, uh, preferences when it comes to uh, reducing the risk of transmission to others, their estimation of the uh, uh, the the harm that that's going to cause and the cost of wearing uh, of of them wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a reason we didn't wear masks during flu season before this, and it's because people were making the judgment that that the the costs of doing so exceeded the benefits. Now, could they have been wrong? Could they have might they have made be- different decisions if they had better information about the uh, the harms caused by flu transmission, not the harms not just of themselves of contracting it, but of spreading it to other people, perhaps, but perhaps not. Right. And perhaps uh, they perhaps the, they were right, Michael. <laughs> you know, maybe right. Yes, and, and that's that's why I use that as an example. Is that most people would accept that uh, no, the cost of wearing a mask or the benefits of of reduced flu transmissions were not worth the cost of wearing a mask. Right, and I think that might be the case here. Uh, I think there's plenty of proof to, to suggest that. And, you know, if you're familiar with pricing theory and economics, it basically says the, the market understands a heck of a lot better than that some small group of central planners what's right for the economy. I think it's the same here. I mean, we can each make individual decisions about our health needs, including t- making the choice to wear a mask or not wear a mask. And, of course, ov- obviously suffer the consequences as well. So, uh, I think this top-down business that we have, uh, thankfully, we're living here in Florida where all these uh, these uh, sanctions and mandates have been lifted, but uh, I just feel for people in other states. Pricing theory tells us that when the producers and consumers internalize all of the costs of their decisions, yeah. then the price will guide us to what is the uh, socially optimal quantity of whatever it is we're talking about, whether it's mask wearing or buying widgets or that sort of thing. Exactly. But the, it doesn't, now, so it doesn't quite fit to this situation because when it comes to contagious diseases, you and I are not internalizing all of the costs of our behaviors, or what we call externalities. If we get the virus and pass it to others, then uh, our decisions end up hurting other people who did not consent to bear those costs. And so the price mechanism uh, does not uh, guide us to the optimal uh, level of mask wearing. Yeah. So in, I, in I that would... way, in that way, the analogy doesn't fit. Well, so here's you're a... absolutely right. But that doesn't mean that Dr. Fauci knows what the right amount of mask wearing is, uh, because he doesn't have the knowledge 
necessary. And, and so we can have these legitimate differences of opinion over whether people should be wearing masks or not. And, and, uh, and to give Dr. Fauci credit, just because you're, you know, if you don't want to wear a mask, that doesn't mean that you're wrong. And if he wants you to wear a mask, it doesn't mean that he's wrong either. It just means we have different preferences. All right. Well, fair enough. I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there, Michael. But this has been a great, very animated and interesting discussion. Uh, again, the website is cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Michael, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob. Take my, care. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jack Wirt. He is the executive director of the Naples Marco Island Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board, and I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now, we have with us Jack Word. He is the executive director of the Naples Mark Wiling Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. Jack, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Uh, glad to talk to you today. Always a pleasure, Jack. Hey, a big event coming up this week, the uh, Chubb Classic. Yes, uh, we're, we're in our 32nd year of having that uh, uh, tournament here, that, which is on the Champions Tour of the PGA. Um, uh, and this year it's at uh, the Tiburon Golf Club, where we've uh, got the uh, previous two events that we had late last fall. And so, uh, yeah, we are kind of showcasing the whole destination this this particular uh, weekend on national television. That'll be great. Uh, no fans for that uh, uh, event, but huh. a lot of uh, g- great uh, uh, television audience. Yeah, and, so they- uh, and also, Sunday's the kickoff for our U.S. Open Pickleball Championship over at East Naples Community Park. So an awful lot going on in the community. Well, it sounds like it. Uh, and can you make a comment on economic impact of something like the Chow Cla- uh, Classic or the Pickleball Tournament? 
Well, b- both certainly bring a lot of out-of-town visitation to the area and, and uh, hotel stays and vacation rentals and, and the like. Uh, for the pickleball championship, that's probably somewhere uh, around the $2 million mark for economic impact mm. and spending in our community. And the golf tournament, um, certainly in past years, has been great, multiple million dollar uh, uh, coming into the area from, from visitors. This year, without the fans, it's probably not quite as much. But what is really important for uh, actually both those events, it does give us national television coverage. Mm. and. This is when we can get our message out to show, uh, you know, uh, pictures of the beach and, and downtown Naples and how really recovery is definitely uh, uh, a part of our picture here. And we want to tell the world, really, that we're open and ready for business. So this is a great opportunity with both events to do exactly that. Yeah. Uh, well, well said, Jack. So, uh, how's how are results uh, looking right now for visitation? I know they must be down because of COVID experience, but uh, how are we doing? Well, we're actually doing better than we had projected that we would do. Hmm. Uh, we've seen some steady recovery, really starting. Uh, in December during the holiday season where people started kind of coming back uh, and traveling a little bit more. We've seen steady increases now, and I I guess the good news right now, I just got the figures for the the first week of April, um, and that that would have included uh, just coming off actually the uh, uh, Easter weekend. Mm -hmm. And our occupancies uh, in hotels, uh, paid accommodations, was a uh, little over 80%, mm. and uh, the weekend was uh, 88%. Wow. So we're actually getting back to where we ought to be. Uh, certainly uh, not where we were in, in 2020. Believe it or not, that same week, Bob, uh, we were less than 10% occupancy in hotels a year ago that same week. Wow. So some great recovery, and um, you can just kind of feel it. Uh, downtown Naples is busy. People are, are uh, walking around. They're, the restaurants are doing certainly better. Yeah, uh, The hotels, obviously, are, are doing much better. So uh, most of that visitation has been from Florida up to this point. But right now, as, uh, as we've uh, uh, seen, you know, weather kind of deteriorate in, in the Northeast and the Midwest, we're getting visitors uh, from, from those areas, which we traditionally would this time of year. Well, that's wonderful. So I know that uh, your campaigns make a big difference with regard to getting visitation here. What are you working on right now? Well, the, the message that we've uh, – we, we still – stay uh, uh, very true to our Florida's Paradise Coast uh, brand. This year we've uh, tweaked it a little bit and and really talking to people who have been cooped up in their houses, you know, cooking all their own meals at home. The message really now is if you're ready to travel, um, only Paradise will do. And that's uh, that that is the theme that we're using uh, in all of our advertising. So much of it is online now, so we're able to really uh, put a, a, a video message in front of people, yeah. kind of reminding them, uh, especially those people who have traveled to our area in the past, this is what you're missing, and uh, if this is what you're looking for, only paradise will do. Yeah, yeah, I just want to remind our listeners that uh, actually this uh, bed tax it pays for all these efforts, so it's uh, while... Uh, it's down here, and Jack and uh, his group are doing so much to, in terms of increasing visitation. It's so important to our economy. We're actually, the money uh, to pay for this is all generated by people who come here to visit. So it's a zero cost for the local economy. And, uh, Jack, we just really appreciate your efforts. Well, thank you, Bob, so much and uh, for reminding everybody that it really is people who don't live here that pay for all we are able to do. And uh, it does pay off because it really has brought a lot of people back to work here in the community that uh, obviously were affected by COVID. Uh, we'd like to get them all back, but uh, that's that's our challenge for the future. Absolutely. I'd like to just throw out one thing. There's something coming up tomorrow. And encourage our listeners. It's uh, celebrating kids and countries put on by the Florida Citizens Alliance, and it runs from nine to twelve at the Naples Community Church. And great guests. I mean, the uh, 
Dr. Duke Pesta from the Freedom Project and Rebecca Friedrichs. She was a teacher in California. Our own Erica Donald's here locally. She's the pre president of the Optima Foundation, a mother whose uh, child had a Hope Scholarship, and uh, Carrie McDonald, senior education fellow at the Foundation for Economic Education. Just so a great lineup, inexpensive, and I've got four tickets to give away. And if you'd like to attend, uh, just give me a call at 598-3889 or send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Terrific events. Uh, event Again, celebrating kids and country by the Florida Citizens Alliance. I'm going to be there with a guest, and I hope you'll uh, uh, plan on attending uh, as well. Uh, Jack, any other good scoop? Well, I would just say uh, kind of in that line of, of youth and so forth, part of the Chubb Classic uh, this year and actually has been for the last five years is the uh, the first tee challenge championship and we bring youth golfers from all over the country and in, in uh, pairs from their first tee uh, uh, chapters in their own cities they bring their families along as well they have three days of playing cha on championship golf courses wow. something they probably never had an opportunity to do we think uh, was watching these kids yesterday uh, practice and they hit the ball like the pros it's just amazing and they're not even out of high school yet so, isn't that amazing uh, a lot of great stuff and youth golf is certainly alive and well you know what i'm so happy you brought that up first tee is such a terrific organization and it makes golf the sport of golf which i think is probably the best in terms of discipline around you know self-control honesty uh, all the th attributes that you want from a young person. First Team makes it available and uh, affordable by kids in Immokalee and wherever they might be. So uh, I'm so happy to, get to hear that report. And, and so what, what's going on? What, they're having a tournament? Well, we've got uh, uh, 24 golfers from 12 different cities uh, who have come in for this championship. We bring them in each year uh, along with their families to, to uh, enjoy Florida's Paradise Coast. They get a chance, and they'll be uh, uh, playing today, tomorrow, and the finals on Sunday at Quail Creek Country Club. Wow. <clears throat> and uh, that really great course there that uh, we've had some amateur events in the past uh, at that location. So they get to play there, and on Sunday I get to go out and present the uh, the trophy to to the winners uh, uh, of that uh, challenge. They, uh, they played uh, for three different formats, so they really do get to play like the pros play. Right, and, uh, isn't that exciting? Uh, just a great opportunity. Again, Jack Ward, Executive Director of the Naples Marco Island Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. I really appreciate you coming on the show. We had so much more to cover. You've got to come back. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Bob. Have a great weekend. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government does doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win.
and win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Dave Bigo. Dave is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. A little background on this. Dave uh, was is the, exec- is the uh, founder and CEO of Executive Management Services, doing business in over 40 states, over 6,000 employees. He was approached by union bosses from SEIU and said, uh, we want to unionize your shop. He, he, they want him to sign a neutrality agreement. He said, nope, if you're going to unionize uh, executive management services, you're going to have to do it by secret ballot, not by going around and intimidating and uh, working uh, our employees. So that the uh, differences went on for two and a half years. Dave wrote a book about it. The stuff that these guys did is just unbelievable. It's a great read. It's called The Devil Out Our Doorstep. Dave, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks, Bob, and thanks for talking about my book. And people need to know that uh, Biden is uh, um, getting, he got Congress to pass the PRO Act, which um, uh, goes for uh, eliminating the secret ballot election, go to card check. And um, he also uh, just came out here lately and said that he uh, uh, approves the uh, neutrality agreement, which is what the union wanted me to sign that would take away the secret ballot and go to card check. So uh, this administration is really moving hard in the direction of um, uh, the unions. And uh, there's just so many other things going on, Bob. Um, you know, they, um, his labor board, uh, general counsel announces vigorous enforcement of protected concerted activity changes, charges. So, um, you know, this allows the unions to really go in and, um, do conservative activity and and uh, unionizing and force unionizing businesses, and um, yeah, um, and while increasing public outreach, the, the NRB staff staffs up for greater enforcement efforts uh, in favor of the unions, and they've also uh, the DOL unwinds Trump rule that uh, up to union financial oversight, you know, um, so that the unions uh, were. People would knew the unions what they were spending the money on, and and um, uh, it was on you know their own pocketbook and their political agendas instead of for the people. Right. And so there's a lot of things going on, Bob, in Washington right now that are not good for the American business. No, not good for the consumer either, because this all comes out of the pocketbooks of consumers inevitably. And the, the proposals that are in place right now by this uh, administration are just absolutely hideous. And I'm happy you hit on the uh, union activity because uh, this just becomes an instrument for feeding uh, the trough of uh, the uh, Democrat Party. In other words, they, you know, they increase the number of people who are in the unions. People pay their union dues. Union dues are then sent off and, and portion of the union dues off to the Democrat Party for the most part. And, yep. uh, and it just leads to it's a, it's a vicious cycle. Uh, and uh, what the unions want, they want big government. And they want uh, the Democrats in power uh, because uh, Democrats will support the expansion of unions and uh, get rid of things like right to work and uh, uh, and the ability to not pay uh, dues. So it's uh, it's insidious. No, it really is, and um, it's um, it's really sad what's going on. And you know the other thing, you know, this infrastructure plan. And I think I might have mentioned this to you last week, but. Uh, you know, uh, Biden's plan in there is uh, about $400 billion of that will go to support the SEIU, the union we fought, so they can uh, uh, have more health care workers that are automatically unionized. Did you say $400 billion? Yep. I, I don't even know how to respond to that. It's just unbelievable that the, that amount of money would go to a union like SEIU, which, by the way, I mean, there's some unions that are good. They do a good job for their employees and uh, for their members, mainly trade unions. But SEIU is a service union, uh, mainly for restaurant workers and health care workers and so forth. Well, health care workers is a big thing. And this $400 billion will go to increase 
the number of healthcare facilities, the number of people, uh, and so the and give the uh, SEIU uh, money to help them do that, and um, and then these people could be accessed by the SEIU and unionized. That's uh, not good news. Not good news at all, Dave. So, uh, what can we do to stop it? Well, the American people need to stand up and push back and uh, and wake up to what's going on in this country. And uh, you know, and the sad thing, the media just keeps saying, you know, the the economy's growing and everything else is growing. But I can tell you, there's still a lot of business out there that aren't doing that well. Of course, uh, not as well as they were under the Trump administration. And the people need to wake up to the fact that the media is controlled behind the scenes by the unions and they're not getting the full truth and they need to uh, really dig into this stuff and learn what the truth is and stand up and stop them from bringing down America. Uh, well said, because, you know, the fact of the matter is when you take a look at the stock market and what's going on, it's, and these are companies that are uh, trading on the exchange. These are big companies that they're not be, haven't been hurt by this pandemic. Uh, but you know who has small businesses, business like yours that you started how many years ago? Did you start your business twenty years ago? Thirty-two years ago. Thirty-two years ago, you grew it from a. You probably working out of your basement, or <laughs> out of your kitchen, or something like that. To start the business, and now up uh, the way you've grown it. Uh, but there are small businesses right now that are being closed. They're not going to survive, and it's primarily because of uh, the the plans that this administration is putting in place. This attacks uh, corporate tax. This is just a, it's a, just a new tax on the consumer. The, pa- the tax costs, of course, will be passed on to consumers, and it's going to hurt us in terms of our trade deals internationally. Well, that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, and, and it's, uh, the other thing, Bob, that I wanted to bring up, uh, that, uh, you know, these uh, corporations that stood up and stopped the Major League Baseball in Atlanta, um, you know, and these are some big companies like Delta Airlines and Coca-Cola and and, and some others. And uh, it's sad, but I my guess on that, Bob, is is that the real reason these CEOs are standing up and supporting this stuff and supporting Biden and even Facebook, um, you know, the uh, the owner of that, uh, Zuckerberg, um, they uh, supporting all this stuff. And I think behind the scenes. Uh, they're being controlled by the unions, too. Huh. Uh, my thought on that is that uh, they, uh, they, you know, we've got this global movement, be globalism. You know, I loved uh, President Trump's uh, Make America Great Again, uh, that whole movement. Well, I think these uh, corporations, for the most part, are international and global. And uh, just the writing on the wall, they think they could put their competitors out of business and... Uh, uh, unionize, you're absolutely right, but actually get on the global train and uh, make Le- United States of America less strong and uh, less significant in terms of the world scene. Yep, that's right. And Zuckerberg, by the way, um, just got an article, uh, I think it was yesterday, that um, his group gave um, the city of Detroit $7.4 million to dramatically expand the vote in that city uh, to make sure Biden won. You know, sooner or later, all this information is going to come out. And uh, my hope is, and I know the, the possibilities are remote, is that once all this information is out and we have the audits and all the things are complete, that uh, President Trump will take it to federal court and sue Biden for cheating in the election. Yeah, I think he will. I think he's going to be coming back. And uh, yeah, that's the American people need to wake up and understand what's going on. Um, with the uh, Democrats who are controlled by the left. Absolutely. Dave Beagle, again, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. I can't emphasize um, more how important it would be to read The Devil at Our Doorstep. Visit the website, thedevilatourdoorstep.com. You can get a copy of the book on my website, bobharden.com, at a nice discount. And, of course, at any book purveyor. The Devil at Our Doorstep by Dave Beagle. Dave, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, and uh, please send some warm weather our way. We, it's uh, 36 degrees here this morning. Up in Indianapolis. Thank you so much, Dave. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I had fun. Learned a lot. Uh, you can. I hope you join us Monday. Mark Schulman, the uh, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, will be joining us. We'll be talking about current global events. 
Larry Reed, the professor emeritus at the uh, professor and president emeritus at the Foundation for Economic Education, will be with us as well as Jim McTagg, author of uh, the two books, uh, two murder mysteries. He's also uh, the uh, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, always very knowledgeable about what's happening in the Beltway. Again, just want to remind you, if you'd like tickets for tomorrow's event for our Florida Citizens Alliance, celebrating kids and country, send me an email at bobharden.com. Uh, we'll uh, make sure that you're my guest. If you uh, give me a call, bobharden at, dot com, uh, at hotmail.com, uh, or give me a call at 598-3889. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com. <laughs>